0: Okay, so we haven't had Bible study in a, in a couple of Sunday mornings due to our holiday schedule. So we're back this morning, January 6th. This is lesson number 53 that i prepared from Matthew chapter 6. We'll try to get through verses 19 through 24 today. A little behind time, I'll do the best I can at doing that. And we're looking this morning at Jesus' words here which deal primarily with worldly wealth. And really, worldly wealth versus what we, we know and what's referred to in the Word of God specifically as treasures in heaven. We can have two kinds of wealth in our life and in our existence. And It goes without saying, you know which one is the most important, do you not? We can lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth. He'll tell us in a little while that They're subject to corruption. They're subject to theft. But there's another place that we can lay up treasure that will last for all eternity. And it'll be treasures that really have already been spent. Have already been spent in the lives of others through ministry. And yet, they continue. And they follow us. So again, Jesus brings up this particular issue about how we view money, about how we view things, materialism, and so forth. And He's going to speak to us real plainly about that from His Word. When I began looking at this, it caused me to kind of go back and look at how my own mindset had been formed about money and things. And I know from studying... and a uh, Just information that I've come across in the past. I remember one piece of information said that really Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he ever did about heaven or hell or any of those things. That tells us something right there. It is a critical issue. We can agree this morning that in some manner, some format, we're almost always focused upon things in this life. I mean, of necessity for sure. But that can get out of hand. That can become our idol. That can become our goal. So it becomes, just like all of these other issues that we've been looking at and teaching from, it becomes an issue of the heart. That's where Jesus is taking His hearers here in chapter 6 once again as He lays this out there. And I began thinking about some of the things that had Uh, worked in my own life to develop my attitude about money and so forth. And I just got to thinking back on my mom's influence on me. And um, I hadn't shared a great deal. You know, I grew up in Ackworth, and my parents were just hard-working people. Both of them had an eighth-grade education. All they knew was hard work. My mom worked at Coates & Clark uh, Cotton Mill for 41 years had a little six-month break in there where she got mad and quit and then went back. (laughs) But my dad working, diligent to work, working Saturday. I always remember my dad working on Saturdays, not being available for a lot of other things, but working to do what he could and to take care. My whole life, I had food to eat. I had clothes to wear. I had insurance. I don't remember a time in my whole life when I didn't have any insurance. and It freaks me out today with young people who don't think anything about getting insurance. That's another story. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I began thinking about people who had made an impact on me regarding those things. I remember a young businessman in Ackworth one time that I was talking to. I was on the tennis courts there in Ackworth. He found out that I was studying criminal justice. And he was kind of incensed. He said, you want to ride around out here in a patrol car? Is that what you want to do your whole life? And I said, well, that's kind of what I want to do now, you know. And He says, look, you can do, he called me, my, he said, you can do one of two things in your life. He says, you can make a lot of money. Or you can do something that you really want to do. And he said another way it's rare that those two come together. And generally, I think he's he was pretty pretty much right about that. But of course, the real issue becomes: are you spending your life and your efforts? Or are you <laughs> investing your life and your efforts? Whatever motif it takes, however much money you make, whatever comes to you, are you investing the greatest thing that you have to give, and that is your life, or are you just spending it? I remember the influence of um, the old missionary Jim Elliot. You remember him? He was killed in, was it Ecuador, I think? He was killed by the people that he was ministering to. And you often hear this quote from Jim Elliot when people are trying to raise money, right? He said, that man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's true, is it not? That calls for some rather deep thought. And then you may or may not be familiar with a guy who used to patch, was it Bellevue? Baptist Church, I believe. Adrian Rogers, you know that name? And he said something that was fairly succinct one time that got my attention because I like simplicity when it comes to money. He says, look, make all you can, save all you can, and give away all you can. And I remember he Preached the message on that. Of course, <coughs> Scripture just was all over that. And I think about those things and they still serve to guide me in my attitude about money and so forth. So I've enjoyed having that information, enjoyed that influence in my life because it has served to, to mold me in that regard. As a young Christian, I remember those things. I remember God putting those things in my heart, I can remember actually praying as a young Christian for the Lord to keep me from the love of riches and to keep me from an attitude of fear. Because quite frankly, I had kind of grown up with that. You know, there was, was always some kind of fearful expression about not having enough money to do this or not having enough money to do that. And I didn't like that. When I became a Christian, I thought, well, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. I began to see what God's Word had to say about those things. No doubt I looked at Matthew chapter 6 at some point. And Christ takes a moment here to bring this issue about money, about possessions and so forth to the limelight. Again, for the sole purpose of people being able to look at their heart and to truly see where their attitude is regarding those particular issues. We're preoccupied in this world today, in our society, with things. We live in a materialistic society. In my former church and teaching experience, I had a, a good friend and family there, Emmanuel Amasa, who was from Nigeria. Uh, a wonderful man of God. Love Emmanuel and his family, his wife, Atun. But I talked to him in private a lot of times about his experience here in America. And I says, what what grabs you the most about America? What sticks in your mind the most? What's, What's the most prevailing thought you have when you think about this country versus where you grew up and came from? He says, it brings tears to my eyes that Americans are so materialistic. They have no appreciation for the basics of life. He said, you do not know what it's like not to have the basics, the necessities of life. And therefore you you don't have the proper kind of uh, attitude, the proper level of thanksgiving and appreciation for what you have. I you know, you see his eyes watering as he was as he was telling me this. that was his experience. That is the kind of country that we live in. If we don't have the right view of ourselves regarding these things, in other words, where does you and your life fit in? I mentioned uh, you know spending your life versus versus investing your life? Where does your life fit in the pursuit for things? And it's a question that we have to answer or it will get away from us. It will affect our worldview, how we see the world around us, and our responsibility in it, particularly regarding our ministry. It certainly will affect our view of the Word of God. You know, in this day and age that we live in, you not only have a church like we know it, but you have a prosperity gospel out there that takes the Word of God and twists it. It certainly does. You have those who think you can just call something, call out a need, and all of a sudden, based upon the grace and goodness of God, poof, it will appear. But we know that that's not what the Word talks about. That's not what it provides for us. Even our view about morality, our view about our own religious duty is all tied around in some fashion these issues that deal with money and with things. So no doubt Christ spent a good bit of time talking about this in some form or another dealing with it on a number of fronts because it goes back to the heart of our existence. And that is again quite simply, Quite simply, what is in your heart regarding these things? And that's what He wants us to look at. He wants us to examine. And He wants us to evaluate based upon the Word that He gives us. So in chapter 6, verse 19, He says this, Do not, pretty plain, isn't it? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves breakthrough, and steal. And really, if you look specifically at this word here, this uh, store up or this phrase uh, comes from a word, uh, thesaurizo, and it's like a similar word where it's used again, thesaurus, is where we get our word, like a thesaurus, what does that mean? That means many words. Thesaurus dictionary type thing. So what that would be is it's a derivative of the same word so as that it would actually read do not treasure up for yourselves treasures. Don't have this uh, overriding, this prevailing attitude that's constantly driven by things. Treasuring up for yourselves treasures. That's the way it was actually spoken. That's what he's talking about. So you can see it's it's kind of a it's a deep involvement within someone. It's something that they've aspired to. It's something that they've accepted in their life. It's quite frankly the way they think. In other words, everything that comes into their life is evaluated on an economic basis. has something to do with money and possessions and how it's going to affect that. <coughs> Christ says that He is going to provide what we need in this life. Do you believe that? Now, He also tells us that we're to do certain things, right? He tells us that what we put our hand to do, we're to do it with all of our might. We're to do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. We're to to be a people of excellence in what we set out to do. We're to do our best. We're to be gracious and diligent in what we do. We're to be known about that. People need to know that you are a Christian employee. And they need to know it from the standpoint of, hey, give me four or five more like him or her, right? Because what you do, you do to the best of your ability for Christ's sake. That's what you do. That's His command to us regarding those things. So the words here carry out the the connotation, this treasuring, this storing up just that. It's talking about stacking up. That's the image. That's the mental image. Stacking up things in your life or stockpiling things of your life. (laughs) If you're like me, your mind probably went to Luke chapter 12 where the guy said, hey, I've had a good year, all right? I'm going to build bigger barns. I'll just even tear down the ones that I have and I'll build some bigger ones. And then what was his attitude after that? He said, I'll tell my heart, just scoot back, just relax Eat, drink, be merry, right? And the teaching there was, hey, surprise tonight, this very day. Your soul will be required of you. Then here comes the big question. Then, who will own these things then? Who will own them then? And it kind of puts it in proper perspective for us. Christ says here, simply, that moths and rust, they corrupt. Everything that we have is subject to that. We know the way that works. It's odd, is it not? If you take a house and you don't live in it for a while, what happens to that house? It begins to fall apart, doesn't it? And you think, well, there's no little wear and tear on it. What, what is this? It's just the process. yeah. So that's what's going on. That's the nature of things. And if not that, he says somebody might break in and steal it. But all earthly treasure is subject to loss and decay. It is temporary. Like the guy who said, hey man, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Never. It's a reminder that God's provision and God's provision alone is our... Security. And we're not to stockpile. We're not to hoard. (coughs) We're to be reasonable. We are to lay up certain things. The Bible talks about us preparing for uh, children, preparing for a rainy day, being smart in what we're doing. But when it goes deeper than that, when it becomes an attitude of faithlessness, when it becomes our idol, when it becomes our God, and listen, how much is enough? Like the guy said, just a little bit more. That's how much is enough, regardless of how much you have, just a little bit more. And when we start thinking like that, then we know that we're in the grip of something other than the direction of God's Word in our life over the matter of money and things. So we give proper attention to it. I remember when I was a young boy, I had a a friend. When he got a toy, it was always really nice. I remember he had these little oh, Civil War army men. He had, they were hand-painted. They were about that big. And they had the blues and the grays. But he wouldn't let me touch them. <laughs> he would sit them up. Whoa, don't t- touch them, don't touch them. And he'd go, so you get fingerprints on them, you get grease on it, and the grease uh, works with the paint, and the paint, I said, whoa, okay. I don't want a chemistry lesson, I just want to play with it. <laughs> no. You can't touch them, he said. You can't touch them. Same guy got, would get Christmas presents. I'd go in his house and he'd have his Christmas presents on his bed lined up. I mean, it looked like they were in a store ready to be sold. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. I used to think about that guy. You know, he died of a heart attack at 35, I think. I don't know how much of that bled on over into his life. I do remember another instant when we were in high school. I was at his house. His sister had gotten a guitar for something birthday. And I played the guitar a little bit. I don't play much. So I'm sitting there on the steps. I said, can I see that guitar? He went and got the guitar out of her room and I was sitting there strumming it. And his dad came out from upstairs and started hollering at him for getting that guitar out. And I'm sitting there with a the guitar, you know. Take it. He said, She just got it. You know, you know and, and this, this whole attitude about How they viewed things was prolific. And I kept seeing it in their life. You know, anything can grab a hold of us, right? Anything can. We can let it get away from us. Christ gives us specific words here (coughs) to tell us how we are to think about these things. And He's not here advocating poverty or anything like that. There's really only one time in Scripture, that he told somebody, look, you need to take everything you have and sell it. Right? And you know where that is. We'll get to it eventually. Matthew 19, the rich young ruler or the rich man as we know it. And why did he tell him that? And here's the lesson. Why did he tell that man that? It was his idol. It had him. He didn't have any money. It all had him. It's two different things. He could not let go of things for the surety, the reality of heaven in his life. Of acceptance before God. I can't think of anything more faithless. Can you? I really can't. Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't forfeit their lives because they kept back some of the proceeds if you remember there from Acts chapter 5, right? They could have kept that. They could have said, well, stole this property, but we ain't given nothing. They could have said that, but they didn't. They lied about it. The Bible says that they lied to the Holy Spirit about it and to others. Wow. They dropped dead in church. Jeepers. The Ten Commandments address stealing. They address coveting. So this concept of possession, of course it assumes there, People have possession. They have right to property. That in itself is not a bad thing. God has chosen to bless many times in that regard. He blessed Job. He blessed Abraham. He blessed Solomon. He did that. But are you at the point in your life when you can say, God, don't give me anything. Don't put anything in my life that's going to dominate me or to take me away from You. Right? Don't do that. No idols. No idols in our life. We are to be wise, Scriptures tell us, in the way we use money. Read Proverbs. We're to be loving and giving in our distribution of wealth to others. We're to be willing. We're to be sacrificial in what we do. We are to be generous in that regard with our possessions. I saw a note from John MacArthur. He said, and one particular week in his life, he said he remembers meeting two distinct personalities, two men. He said one was a, a former professor at a major university. He was worth, he said, about $100 million. But he said he lost his family, he lost his happiness, he lost his peace of mind. And if you looked at him, in the age that he was, he looked like he was 20 years older than what he was. And his summation was that, as I said earlier, he didn't have any money. The money had him. The desire for that had him. He talked of a second man. He said, I met these guys the same week. He said he was a a fellow pastor, believe it or not. And he said God had blessed this man. He was a faithful minister. He had a thriving church. But God had blessed his investments and so forth. He doesn't say what they were. And he did did very well. But he said he actually gave considerably more money to his church than he ever received in salary. He ever did. He was a giver and he trusted God to meet his needs. He said he is one of the most godly men that I know even to this day. He's one of the happiest people. There's fruit, there's constant fruit in his life. And then he added, he said, he's the most contented person that I know. So he mastered it, did he not, by yielding to the Word of God, by being careful not to let money and things become an idol. Not to allow it to enter into our life when it dominates our thoughts. When it so dominates every action that we take. We're not talking about being responsible. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about working hard and making preparations. We're to do that. I guess the key word might be balance. Balance. So he shares that with us. The heart must be right on this matter. And he adds that spiritual problems are always heart problems. So it's right for us to look at our own heart and to consider what the Word of God is saying. Our understanding and use of money, it's like a barometer. It's very revealing about what's important to us in this life. It's often been said you can take a person's bank statement or their checkbook or whatever and look at it, and you can tell real quick what's important to them. To some degree. Chapter 6, verse twenty. But he says, as Christ continues, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust doesn't going to, it's not going to corrupt, they do not corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. In other words, what you put there is secure. It's worthwhile. It is a good investment. It's going to be there with interest. It's going to be there. So what are these treasures in heaven? You say, Well, okay, I'm for that. What are they? What are these treasures? Well, for sure, in a very general way, obedience to God in all areas of life. From a very broad perspective, that's how you begin laying up treasure in heaven. Obedience to God in every area of your life will produce and will provide treasures in heaven. It'll do that. They're things produced by what we hold in our heart. We're back to the heart. Our heart's commitment. Literally, how we invest everything that we have. Our time, our talents, yes, our our money. But everything that we have that's that's used, that's serviceable, that can provide benefit, that can be used for ministry. Everything that we have. You know, and, and the thought came to me, since it, is a matter of the heart and it has to do with what we think about, right? That reflects what's in the heart. My mind went to Philippians 4, uh, verse 8 there, that tells us plainly what we are to think on. Now, if these are the things that issue from our heart, they're going to produce works, are they not? If that's what we're focused on. So what are those things? You remember, maybe you hadn't thought about them in this light, but think of them now. Whatsoever is true. Whatsoever is honorable. Whatsoever is right. Whatsoever is pure, lovely, of good repute. Whatsoever is excellent. We talked about excellence. Whatsoever is praiseworthy. If these are the things that we're committed to, according to the Word of God, if we're committed in this area, this is what's going to produce action in our life. And those things, these, these godly things, produce... Things that can be laid up. Efforts, ministry, service for Christ, service to our fellow man for the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ. So we can look at that perhaps even as a a guide for us to say, what do I sit around? What am I focused upon? Is it this list of things here that Paul gives the church there in Philippi? Because they reflect what we're looking at here, and that is what is in a person's heart. In Luke 16, 10 and 11, we read this, He who is faithful in very, uh, very little thing is faithful also in much. Right? It's Christ talking. And He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been Faithful in the use of unrighteousness wealth. Who will entrust the true riches to you? Of course, he's talking about the parable there of the unjust servant. This is a critical issue. He's talking about here this faithfulness. This is how we think. Those things that prompt us to action are are not to action. So the little things, the things that come into our life, the things that challenge us, the things that we can make a proper decision about, a proper commitment on, Christ the indication here is He puts those things in our life in in small doses perhaps. Issues arise and we discover just exactly how committed we are to a principle. We don't get to say well this is not a big deal over here, this is a small thing. I'm not concerned about this. No. Even in the small things and it's a a revelation here about human nature, really. He says, if you're going to do it in the small things, the way you act here, it's going to reflect your commitment. It'll be, it'll be that way on the larger issues. And he says, if you can't do it with the small things, who would entrust the true riches to you? Let's go to chapter 6, verse 21. I have just a few minutes. For Christ sums it up here. And if you don't remember anything else, you probably remember this verse as he brings these thoughts to a close here he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, that kind of sums it up. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now Jeff, these folks are ministering. They're not offended, okay? They're just... <laughs> they're on a ministry team. they got to go. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Since you're, you're new and everything, okay. A little exodus there. Yeah, as long as we could take it. Can you imagine Christ sitting there telling you this? Can you imagine looking into His face, looking into His eyes after this teaching, and Him just, just cutting to the chase and saying, hey, where your treasure is, That's where your heart is, and we look at it the other way. What your heart is focused upon, what's most important to you, that's your treasure. That's that's what's dominating you. That's what you're protecting. That's what you're guarding and guiding. We go back and look at these principles even in the Old Testament. Back in Exodus chapter 35 when they were preparing to build the tabernacle. If you go and read from Exodus there in that chapter, look at verse 21. Is there gathering? What does it take to build, folks? What does it take to build? Materials? Why does it take to get materials? What does it take? Money! Money. Okay, <laughs> all right. Thank you. Listen. That's <laughs> so what he says. Everyone whose heart stirred him. Listen to the language here from the Old Testament, building, gathering for the tabernacle. Everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for all the holy garments. That says something about the heart and the dedication of the people. Verse 22, Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and and bracelets, all articles of gold. very everybody believing in that day. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. The issue is here, the heart, the way we think about it. And then later, building the temple, not the tabernacle, but gathering for the temple. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 6. I won't read the whole thing, but it talks there about offering willingly a willing heart. Now this is not an act of pretense, no, not the appearance of being willing. that's not what it says. It was an actual desire of the heart. They came and they offered regarding the construction of the temple. Verse 9 of chapter 29 there in 1 Chronicles speaks of, again, offering willingly. And it says that the people and King David rejoiced because the people gave how? And it's one of my favorite phrases. With a whole heart. Whole heart. Again, you find that phrase whole heart in Psalm 119 six times. And it's yet in Psalms two or three other times. With a whole heart. And the implication there is with a a dedicated heart. A focused heart. That's why they came. That's why they gave. That's what they wanted to do. So giving reflects commitment. It reflects trust in God's provision, not our provision. Giving reflects both godly and brotherly love. Being willing to forgive. i marked... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, begins. And perhaps in your Bible, the subtitle there talks about a cheerful giver. It says, Now this I say, of course, Paul talking, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed where? In his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He's quoting there. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality through which which through us rather is producing thanksgiving to God. So this issue of the heart, of course, is still prevalent certainly in the New Testament apart from what Christ is teaching here. Paul Gilles' instruction there on the right heart condition, the right attitude about giving. G. Campbell Morgan said, you belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on the earth, poor silly soul, he says. He actually says, poor sorry silly soul. You have made a fortune and stored it up in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune... But store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Of course, he's talking there about laying up treasures in heaven. How quickly can I have five minutes? The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Man, you can really go here looking, there's a big debate about the eye and. Is it internal? Is it external? And the light, and so forth. If you get into a word study here, but the light, the eye is what takes in. The only way something can come in physically is through the eyes. Okay, and I began thinking, what about the ears? You know, what about? But anyway, we're talking about what comes into the mind, what comes into the heart, that which we see. (coughs) The body is the lamp. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. What we see. And he uses the word clear there. A Greek word that means it's focused around being single-minded. It talks about being focused. It talks about being dedicated. And of course, it assumes on the right thing. Being rightly focused regarding this issue of money and so forth. So the implication in this verse is that if our heart, which is represented by the eye, <coughs> is, uh, is generous and it means clear, Okay, our whole spiritual life will be flooded with spiritual understanding and light. Get it right here for sure, but get it right here first. Get it right in the heart, and I'll move to 23. He says, "But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the if if then the light that is in you is darkness." And then he adds this: This should be this should get our attention. He says, "How great is that darkness?" This is a big deal. It has over, an overriding impact on our entire life, how we view this. This is serious. How great is that darkness? That is to say, what an impact that reality will have in your life, in your ministry. It's something we give a proper amount of attention to. And then lastly, in verse 24, and I'll finish. No one can serve two masters. Thank you, Jesus, for being so practical here. I can understand this. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve God and wealth. They're mutually exclusive. can't do it. That's what Christ tells us. You cannot do it. That master word there is of course the Greek word kurios. It means Lord. But its deeper meaning is it's Lord in the slave relationship. That's what it's talking about specifically. Not just someone who can order you around, but something who has total control over you. And a slave couldn't do that. A slave wasn't just a servant. He, didn't have, he or she didn't have that status. They were a slave. Everything in their life was dictated by their Master total domination, total authority, that's what he's talking about here. And You cannot serve God and wealth. So we need to get it right, don't we? We need to examine our heart and make sure that it's right. John Calvin said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost His authority. We don't want that. So the question as we close this morning is where is your allegiance? Where is your confidence? What is the essence of your security? Is it in the, pro- the the promises of God and His Word and His clear direction on how we're to view money and things and material provisions in this life in order to stay balanced, in order to stay focused, in order not to be idolatrous in our life to any degree, but to allow Him to use us as He will without any stumbling block in that area.